Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com build. That's chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, welcome back to another incredible episode of Rants and Gems. This is Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700, better known as MG, the mortgage guy. So we're in location right now, y'all, and we are in... Newark, New Jersey, a.k.a. Brick City. So I'm sitting with the one and only Adina Bayo, who embodies the American dream. At the age of 13, you escaped civil war in your native country, Liberia, immigrated to the United States, and now is one of the most successful entrepreneurs in your home state of New Jersey. You own restaurants, you're a landlord, a developer, not to mention being one, a one-woman economic engine yeah. Jeez. Adina is now the owner of eight restaurants, including four IHOP franchises, three cornbreads from the farm to the soul, one Brick City vegan with two more locations on the way. And you have a real estate portfolio of over $220 million. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome <laughs> Adina Bayou to the show. Adina, what's up, girl? What's up? Thanks for having me. Oh, man. I, I said a lot right here. Yeah. Um, did I miss anything out? No. I think you covered everything. I think I covered pretty it. Good. Pretty yeah. good. Okay. Pretty good. Okay. You got more locations on the way in the restaurant. So. Yeah, we do. We're going to Montclair, and we're going to do more Brooklyn stuff. Because Brooklyn love us. <laughs> and shout out to Brooklyn. If you're in Brooklyn, make sure you got the cornbread in Brooklyn, right? Cornbread, Eastern Parkway, yeah. And we're going to put all of this in the description of the video because I want you guys to support um, these restaurants, whether you're in New York, Jersey, Connecticut, you guys in Connecticut come to New Jersey and New York all the yeah. time. So make sure you guys support um, your franchise. So we'll put all that in the description of this video. But first of all, we're in one of your your properties right now, yep. which is a 84 residential mixed use mm -hmm. um, property which you developed from the ground up, yeah. which is located right here downtown. And it's right across the street from City Hall. Yeah, right across the street. Like literally, we could look out the window right here. City Hall is right there, yeah. First of all, I got a lot of questions. How the hell did you go from buying three family properties 
to now developing and having a $220 million real estate portfolio. How, tell, take us on that journey. Like when was your first deal in real estate? 2000, 2000, 2000, 2000, 2001, I bought my first three family house in Irvington, New Jersey. Okay. And it was a three family house. I was right out of college and I rented out the top floors and I lived on the first floor. Okay. So right there, I had two people that was paying them the rent, and I was at the first floor. I was working at the bank at the time, and because I had people on the first and second floor, third and second floor, I had my income for my job to kind of play Monopoly. Mm. And I just kind of started saving and buying three, two, four families in Irvington, Newark, East Orange, just building up a real estate portfolio. And you did all of this during what I like to call the wild cowboy days, the subprime. Subprime mortgage mortgage era. era. Now, when the market crashed, how did that impact you and your real estate business? It was brutal. Okay. It was extremely brutal. And I think not just me, I think the statistics say 57% of black family lost their wealth during the subprime mortgage crisis. I was one of them. And I was definitely one of them. I had a ton of houses that were in foreclosures. And it was a terrible time for me. I had foreclosures happening. I had a divorce happening at the time. And just everything that could go wrong in a person's life was happening all at the same time. I had one saving grace though. What was that? My IHOP. Okay. Right as the market was turning, I had opened up an IHOP in Irvington. That was my very first IHOP. What year was this? 2007. Crisis hit its peak, 2008. Mm-hmm. And everything was happening. And that restaurant was my saving grace. It saved me. So the IHOP was running. Yeah. The real estate was crashing. Was crashing. Divorce was happening. Divorce was happening. Personal life crashing at the crashing same time. at the same time. IHOP came in and brought stability. So I'm assuming as you're building your real estate portfolio for, you know, five, six years, you're making money. You fired your job at some point. Yeah. Right? You said, yep. no, I'm gonna go full time with this. I don't need the bank no more. Exactly. And then everything starts crashing. Yep. So then the aha pair is your saving grace and it kept you afloat basically. It kept me afloat in a couple of ways. Okay. Prior to two thousand and seven, before I opened that IHOP, I had a terrible time opening up that IHOP. Okay. I went to about seven different banks and it all said no to me. Not because of credit, I had good credit. Not because of liquidity, I had liquidity. I had houses that I had refinanced, so I had good liquidity. My credit was great. A lot of the no's that I got was, you don't know the restaurant business. But I worked at a McDonald's when I was about 13 years old. But I think the real reason why most of the banks were saying no to me was, they hadn't seen me before. And what I mean by that is that they hadn't seen a 25-year-old African-American girl 
go put in an application for a loan for $2.5 million to open an IHOP that can back it up financially, asset-wide, that they didn't see me. I didn't exist in their mind, right? Um, and seven bank, and it was constant, no, no experience, no experience, no experience. But I will tell you, banks can lend to you without experience. Absolutely. You have the SBA that lend on projection, right? And when I sit back now, it's because they hadn't seen me. I was a unicorn then, right? And it was by the saving grace of a woman at the time that worked at IHOP that made a call to somebody in Arizona and said, we have this franchisee in New Jersey that we really want to put our hands behind. We want you guys to finance her. And GE came, what took me about almost two years to finance, they fin financed that in like 30 days. Really? 30 days. They gave me a $2 million loan to build my very first IHOP. And when that IHOP opened, I was 27 years old. I was the youngest franchisee at the time in the country. And when we opened that IHOP, a year and a half later, that IHOP went to be like the highest growth in IHOP in New Jersey. We killed it. Wow. And we killed it because real estate was crashing, divorce was crashing. That was my baby. I put everything I had in that restaurant. And I wanted to let everybody know that I can do this. And I wanted to do it in a way that I opened doors for other black young women coming into the IHOP systems that wanted to do this. I wanted them to point to me as, well, we have an example of this already. We came to her. Well, she came to us and we said, no, look what she is now. So that was always in my mind. I'm always looking for ways to open doors for other women so that once I go through it, it's wide open. Mm. So the IHOP rolling, highest producing we killed it in New Jersey. Yes. All while the market is crashing. Mm -hmm. Your real estate, you're going through foreclosures. You're going through divorce. Yep. At what point or what year did you get back into the real estate game? So... I got back into the real estate after I kind of cleaned it all up. A friend of mine, actually, when I opened the IHOP, there was a hospital that was closing down in Irvington. And it was a six acre site. The hospital had sat there abandoned for maybe five years. And I have this great friend of mine, and he and I would, you know, he would come to the IHOP. Like, the IHOP was about a hangout spot, okay. you know. Everybody would come. We would hang out. We would just, you know, chop it up. So one day he was saying to me, you should get back into real estate. I'm like, Jada, you know, because sometimes you get beat down. Yeah, you took a bloodbath. I did. Yeah. I did. I did. And he said to me, get back. I was like, yeah, I got to think how I get back into this game. And he said, well, let's do the Irvington General Hospital together. And I said, well, <laughs> I think we could. So you just went through hell in real estate. That's right. And you're talking to your boy. You're chopping it up in your IHOP. Yeah. Eating pancakes and orange, drinking orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> chopping it up. Yeah. And he's like, oh, let's go, let's go develop a hospital. Yeah. And you're like, fuck it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Because my love and the passion was always in real estate. Okay. 
Heck, the AHAB even exists because it was a real estate play. It was an old diner that was being sold and I wanted the real estate. But nobody would put their AHAB in it, so I put my AHAB in it, right? So it was always been about real estate. Did you buy that building? I did, and happened? turned it into an AHAB. And turned it into an AHAB. Okay, so, that, so you had two businesses in one. Yes. You had the real estate, the ownership of that, and then you also had the AHAB business. So you was creating the cash flow from there. But now was this building just a um, uh, uh, like a retail restaurant space or was it like mixed use and had apartments? No, it was just a diner. Actually, it did. It had one apartment above. Okay. And the diner was on the bottom. The apartment now is our offices. <clears throat> we turned that into our offices. And there's no accident why McDonald's is probably the largest land owner or real estate owner in the world. Restaurant and real estate go hand in hand. Absolutely. Your highest expense when you're running a restaurant is your rent and the food. That's it. Usually the rent is higher than actually when you pay your people, right? Um, so I've always felt early on in my career that I need to control the real estate. All my experience as a real estate developer is going to help me on the restaurant side because they go hand in hand. Um, so when Patrick came and said, you know what, let's do this real estate development, it was a natural, because I had just finished a large real estate transaction, I turned an old diner into a restaurant. So I never really stopped doing real estate. Although your multi, your residential real estate went through hell in the hand basket because yeah. of the crash, yeah. your commercial real estate play was still dry. Picking up. Because you had more cash flow than a, a regular tenant would give you anyway because right. that's unlimited potential of income and cash flow when you have a restaurant. You pivot. So I pivot. I pivoted in the crisis without even knowing it. I pivoted in the commercial side of real estate. Even now, when I develop, it's commercial real estate play, right? So sometimes things are happening around you. It's not, they're happening around you. If you're patient enough, you'll see the message. 2008 was my pivot. 2008 was my bloodbath, but it was when I fell, but I didn't stay there. You're gonna fall, let's make no joke no, you're gonna fall. Absolutely. It's just how quickly you're getting up and the lesson you're learning from your falls. I think is what this journey is about. Mm. So you got the restaurant, you got the building, and with the hospital, what did you guys do with this hospital? How did you develop it? Or what did you develop it into? So when we decided to take the hospital from a hospital to residential, there were four doctors that had given the township, I think, a deposit, I think close to a million dollars on the, on the hospital, they wanted to buy and turn it back into a hospital. Okay. And we pitched to the township that this need to be not a hospital anymore. This need to be a residential affordable housing complex. Because at the time when all of our people were losing their homes in foreclosure, where are those people gonna go and live, mm -hmm. right? So we did a real good presentation to the township that allowed us to design for them on that six acre site, 
a 652-unit affordable housing complex. Wow. Mixed income affordable housing complex. Wow. And in 2010, 2011, we were successful in opening up the first phase of that. We did 114 units, and that was a mixed income. And we just finished the second phase of that. That is a 97 senior affordable housing mixed income as well. Mm. Hold on, there's a lot of plays in this, what you just said right now. So do you guys have ownership of the senior living facility as well? Yeah, we do. So not only do you own the real, and these are apartments. You these are apartments. You didn't flip them. No, we didn't flip them. No. Okay, so you guys got the hospital, developed it, until a total of how many units you said? 600? 652 units when the total project is done. Okay. But right now, how many units is um, done? The first phase was 114 units. Mm -hmm. This last phase we're open is 97 units. 97, so a little and bit over 200. Yes, the next phase is going to be 172 units. Wow. Yeah. So you have the cash flow from the apartments, mm -hmm. all affordable housing, mm -hmm. and then you have the business of the senior facilities center as well. So the, the senior living is not, it's, it's housing just like affordable housing, but it's just geared towards seniors. Okay, so 55 and over. 55 and over. Okay. Yep. Now, are there any special subsidies that you receive when you're doing senior living and affordable housing? It's the same thing you will get if you're doing affordable housing. It's just now catered towards senior, 55 and up. Okay. So we got the 9% low-income housing tax credit, which is like probably one of the most complex transactions one can ever do in the real estate world is affordable housing. And last year in December, I became the first African-American woman in the city of New Jersey to be awarded a non-percent tax credit where she is the lead in the project. Wow. History in the making. It was. It was history in the making. And for me, it was a celebration, but it really wasn't. Because here's why I said it wasn't a celebration for me. I think, especially in affordable housing, Black women are the benefactor, the major benefactor of affordable housing are black and brown women. They're usually single mothers, and oftentimes they are not at the table of those decisions. They're not at the table in these developments. They're not. And one thing I do know is that when you are not at the table, you are on the menu. Mm. Hold on, say that again. When you're not at the table, you are on the menu. And what I want to do in affordable housing development is to normalize women in affordable housing development. I, especially women of color, we are the benefactor. I grew up in affordable housing in Newark, right? I want to make this space where we're not unicorns. We're not one-offs. I want to inspire the next generation of young girls or even older women that are sitting at home and thinking about, you know, that been playing in this real estate space, doing the two family, the four family. You can do that as well. But let's think about how we infiltrate our community on the affordable housing side, going vertical and understanding that. And I, I always say this when I talk to people about affordable housing. Understanding that is hard work, but the reward 
is so much enjoyable because in affordable housing, if you do it right, you're leaving equity for the people in their communities that have lived in this so long, but are now being priced out of those communities. That is why I'm on a mission, is to keep the equity in this community for the people that have done this and live here when these communities were what we call a dangerous community, and now they are on the rise. Like Newark, Newark is on the rise. Newark is definitely on the rise. I want more women to do affordable housing. Heck, I want more women in real estate development, period. So affordable housing, how do, how do in your opinion, right, because there's a problem yeah. with affordable housing, What's the solution? How do how what do you, what do you think is the solution to get more women or more black people in general developing and into developing affordable housing um, developments? I think access to capital. Access to capital is the biggest barrier to this industry, and if you really think about it, it doesn't really cost a lot to do affordable housing. Affordable housing is the only area where all of your money that you put in it comes out if you do it right. If you do it right. If you do it right. So my only problem with affordable housing is that it's not geared towards minority developers. We don't have access to the capital. We don't have the generational wealth to go to our uncle for $2 million to put up an 84 unit building. We don't have a rich auntie that we can call on. If somebody told you, put up $2 million, and at the end of that $2 million, you'll get it back. But you have and own something on Broad Street in the city of Newark. I think that's a great offer. Absolutely. And I want to be in a position to offer that to more people of color. Because from my experience, I have been offering that, but it haven't been the people that look like me. So what, what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced when doing affordable housing? As a black developer or just generally? In general, both. Let's do both because it's two separate things, I yeah. think, in my opinion. I think I'm going to speak from my perspective. I think the biggest challenge I have faced as a developer is access to capital. And after that, it's just really knocking down those doors that have never been opened for someone or people that look like us, right? Joining affordable housing development now is almost entering a race where someone has won 10 laps without you, right? So you can catch up but it's gonna take some time to catch up, right? But nevertheless, I think we have got to continue on the journey of being in the spaces where we're either JVing with people, and I would say JVing with people very, very carefully. What's JV for those who don't know? You know, a joint venture. Joint venture, okay. Joint venture, if you do it with the right person, can be beneficial to you in affordable housing, but it can also go wrong when you are partnering up with a bigger developer that know this game better than you and know all of the loophole, they can squeeze you out of making any money in that project. You can end up essentially being more poor and you own high rises, but you're dirt poor because they have figured out a way to eat up all of your developer's fee 
participate in the construction of the building, participate in the management of the building. So you literally have nothing but your name attached to a building that you financially benefited nothing, nothing from. from that. So I will strongly, strongly advise people if they're going to JV with bigger developer, do your research on that developer. Ask to speak to someone that they had JV with and ask that person, how was your experience working with this person? At least talk to two people before you sign on the dollar line. And in that agreement, put somewhere in there that no matter what, your developer's fee cannot be touched, especially if they're doing the construction. Mm. Mm. So they will basically, I'm not going to say swindle, but they'll basically find these loopholes. So if you said my developer's fee is 5%, mm -hmm. they'll find ways to make you 5-1. Yes. What are some of these tactics that these folks are using that you've experienced? So most of it, especially if your partner is on the construction side, or usually they'll say, well, conditions had changed. That's like every developer. Every knows. development. Oh, market so, conditions. Market yeah. condition. Yeah. Interest rate went high. Yeah. In the middle of the construction project, this thing happened. So we had to eat up the developer's fee. But my question to them was, in every development, every construction contract has overhead contingency, construction profit. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you touching that? Because if everything go well and you made your money on the construction side, I'm not going to share in your construction profit. Correct. So why should you share or eat up my developer's fee? Mm. And it happened more than you know. Really? So my advice to all of the novice out there that want to do real estate development, read those agreements and make sure your developer's fee is protected. Rule number one. Rule number one. Make sure your developer fee, fee is protected. protected at all times. Especially all times. if your partner is the construction company. So, all right. So when you're doing these developments, obviously these are not small development projects. These yeah. are tens of millions of dollars that we're speaking of. So yeah. someone going into this deal, obviously they might not have this type of money. So what if someone wants to do a development and kind of do it on their own and be the lead um, developer um, on this. Kind of like I did. And kind of like basically yeah. what you did, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure you just got tired of this bullshit. Exactly. Right? So <laughs> no, you got tired of this bullshit like, yo, yeah. forget this. Yeah. How do I do this on my own? And I bring them into the deals versus me going into the deals with them, right? Yeah. So what was that transition like and how did you get this money? Like, for example, prime example, we're here, like I said in the beginning of this, we're sitting right across from City Hall, downtown Newark, in, on your site that you develop 84 units, yeah. and you have, it's a mixed-use property, you have your IHOP, Brick City Vegan, you got Cornbread, like, this is a beautiful building. Thank you. How the hell did you secure this land, mm -hmm. and how did you, I mean, build something of this madness? Because I know this wasn't cheap. No, this wasn't cheap. This was actually, this site was supposed to be an IHOP site. Was this your first lead development deal this no deal? no okay. the one we're doing is my first lead development deal this was a, a, a jv with someone as well okay so this project this land was a a park what we thought was a park i was going to build an ahop here and one thing stuck out to me when i thought of building this 
just as an I have a parking and everything. I said to myself, this is right in downtown Newark. Where everything happening around us, all of these apartments are going up. And I see the market is trending on high rent downtown. I was saying to myself, I need to make downtown more affordable. I need to make this project into an affordable project. That was what was perpetrating to my mind. And how can I make this bigger than just an IHOP? So there again, I started thinking always when I'm thinking of starting a business or doing something, I'm always wanting to solve a problem. You always have to start from, is there a problem I need to solve? Mm -hmm. The problem that I was solving here was high rents, right? And community. And recently, I was talking to someone that said, if you want to, you know, run a small business, solve small problems. But if you want to run a business that you see out 30, 40, 50 years, you have to solve big problems. And I want to always be in the position to solve big problems. And this building solved three problems for me. I got to put three restaurants down here that between the three restaurants, we employ anywhere between 45 to 50 people. I got to make downtown Newark affordable. You could live in a one bedroom in this building for $1,100 a month. Wow. And the last thing it did for me- 1100 in Jersey? In Jersey. That's crazy. Right? And the last thing this project did for me, and I think is, is so important, it reminded me where I came from. Every time I walk in this building, it's a, it's a love fest. A because love I fest. did it and I put community first. Mm. And I think once you start doing that in your businesses, you can lose. Can lose. You can lose. And you get to see your people and you get to see them here and they're not rent burden, you know? And this, this project here is a mix of ones and two bedrooms? Ones and two bedrooms. So 1100 for one bedroom here. For those of you, I know some of you live in, you know, other parts of the country who are going to watch this and probably say, well, that's kind of expensive. But right. in Jersey, that's actually extremely affordable. That's affordable. For one bedroom. How much is a two bedroom? Two bedroom, an affordable size, can run you fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars That's super affordable. It is. For New Jersey. In general. Oh, yeah, it is. You know, so where a two-bedroom can easily run over $2,000 a month. Exactly. Easy. And with affordable housing. And I think when people, one of the biggest um, misconceptions about affordable housing, when people hear this, they think about, hey, you're not going to make any money. It's not going to be a lot of cash flow that comes from this. But, you know, from the few um, developers that I know that work specifically in this space, they're killing it with cash flow. Well, unaffordable housing your cash flow is tapped out for at least 15 years, right? And your developer's fee gets split out. So on a project like this, your developer's fee is probably 15% of the total project, right? And you get half of that when a building is built. And you get the other half every year, every year. Over the 15 years. Over the 15 years. So it's not your, you're not going to be, high role in affordable housing. It's a Haitian game. 
Yeah, but real estate is patience. Real estate is very patient. And I think in this world. But on the market side, mm -hmm. if the market perform well, you're on the market side, you can benefit. On affordable housing side, you're locked in for that 15 year. Yeah, but it's guaranteed money. That's true. Right? If. If. Yeah. People you know. don't think they got to do it. Right? <laughs> yeah. But. It's a long-term play, and I think, especially with uh, social media and how quick everything is, especially in the real estate space, people want to come into this business and think they're going to get rich overnight. That this is not a rich overnight no, thing. This is not, not. A get, real estate. No matter what level you're doing it at, is not get rich quick scheme. It's not. It's a long-term play. It's generational right. wealth. That's it's something that so can live. True. It can live longer than you. Oh my God, that is so true. People think, oh, I got this building. You know, I'm I'm boiling out. No, it. It's planting the seed now. Maybe your kids are going to boil out, you know. If you're lucky, you may enjoy some of that. But mostly, it's, it's a long-term play. And that's why I think, especially in these communities now, that are becoming a hotbed for development. I want people to have equity in this. Because we have put in the blood, sweat, and tears in these communities when nobody wanted it. Now, I just don't want to see people because of their economic status, because, and also one thing I do know, and I'm not going to sit here and be naive and understand that. I understand that in this life, where we are at today, 50% of your outcome in your life is all determined by the zip code you were born in. 50% mm. of your life outcome the other 50% is based on the generosity of the people around you, right? And I'm not gonna sit here and be naive to the fact that we as black folks depend a lot on the generosity of other people because just by this nature, most of us was born in zip code that said we would mount to nothing based on the zip codes that we're born on, in, right? right? So I know the struggle. That's why every time I see a young minority, black, brown, whoever starting a business, I'm excited because I know what it took to get that business off the ground, right? No matter who you are, I know what it's taken because the system, again, just wasn't built to support us in business. It's meant to really, you have to be breaking, sealing every, you know, so I understand that. So when I think about us, we, keeping equities in our communities, something is gonna to have to happen for that to happen, right? We need the support of our community and our local government that have that intention that we need to keep the equities in these communities. We need to do more projects where black developers are in the lead. We need to do more projects where there's home ownerships. Mm -hmm. We need to do more projects that keep equity and close that gap well. Absolutely. And I think real estate is one of the tools we can use to close that gap well. Absolutely, 1,000% agree with that. I yeah. think it's one of the biggest tools that we have out there. Because if you look at some of the richest families in the world, real estate. That's it. Real estate. It's the main. But again, these families have passed this on to generation. The zip code. Zip code that we're born in. And we have the opportunity to change that zip code for our children and their children. Right. So what we're doing right now is so important. That's why I was telling you even off camera. I said, look, you're too local. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it real with y'all. That's what I told her. I said, look, you need to be global. Yeah. Like you're too quiet. Yeah. Why why nobody knows who you are? 
I called you Nino Brown when we first met. Yeah. Man, I mean, we're going to show you. What's that laughing? Yo, she's Nino. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or 7 Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Brown, I'm not going to hold you up. She got this whole block. This is like the modern day Carter. But you got you, you got food. You got apartments. This is like the Carter. This is like, like the modern day Nino Brown, which is a great thing because you're not out here poisoning the community. We're doing bad. You're out here being an economic engine for the community where, like you said, you got 40 to 50 employees just from the three restaurants alone. And probably the average age of those kids are teenagers and young adults, right? Yeah. Now they and coming from areas like Newark, where it's the hood for the most part, right? right? It has a bad reputation. There's crime. There's things of that nature. But there's great people here that deserve an opportunity, too. And they need stuff like this. To see, like, and especially someone, that's why you probably have the love fest when you walk the building and everything, because they're looking at you like, yo, you did this? Yeah. Like, so if you can do it, damn, this gives me hope. I can do it, too. So this is important work. And that's why I said to you, girl, you're not local. You're not New Jersey no more. We need to make you global. And I also think that you need to see a walking manifestation of your dream. Facts. To believe it, to see it. Before you can say, wow, if she can do it, I too can do it, right? And the employees that are in this building are all from this community. You know, if you want to, A, make a, have an impact in black community, invest in black women. Because black women will employ black, black people, will be leaders in their community, will make sure that any development they do benefit the community that's it the, the formula is not that complex if you look at the number of black women starting businesses in this country it's astronomical but we don't have the support we don't have the financial support and when you do get the financial support and my god the pressure that come with that understand that you don't have no room for any mistake none right but when we do get it right, we get it right. When we get it right, we get it right. And I think this building is a manifestation of getting it right. Invest in black women and you will see the community change. Venus. I don't even know what the hell I can say after that. <laughs> Like, what do you want me to say after that? Like, what kind of question can I ask you? I think if it's drop that major, gem, yo, throw some gems in the comment for that, because I 1,000% agree with you. Yeah. Invest in black women, yeah. and you will see the community change. Big time. You need to put that on a shirt or something, a hat, and sell that in the restaurants, because that is like, and look, you're living proof of this. Yep. Like, Wow. Incredible. Alright. <laughs> that was heavy. <laughs> but true, right? So with real estate prices increasing, inflation, 
It's now going down, but still high. How do you, especially with your future project, projects, because you have a passion for affordable housing, clearly, yeah, right? Really. How do you, as a developer, as a real estate investor, keep affordable housing affordable with everything around you continuously increasing? I think for me, action, action, action until you build your capital stack. Because I think we have, what I do know and what I understand about the current market is that it's not going to stay here forever, right? And real estate, affordable housing development, you have to ask for gap funding. You have to go to your governor's office, to your major office, to all of the community stakeholders that you know can make these projects available. Because inflation or not, the demand for the affordable housing is not going to go down. It's only going to go higher. It's in these times that we need to buckle up and develop more affordable housing. Because guess what's happening? When you go out to the open market, you have other investors that say, well, now it's time for me to hike up my rent. My rate went higher, so now to make my project work, I need to ask for higher rent, right? This is the time that we need to, we need our stakeholders, especially in affordable housing spaces right now. This is the time that we need to buckle up and set aside more funding for affordable housing on the gap side and to increase the allocation of the 9%. You know, I don't want to get too technical. No, but <laughs> break it down to them. They need to know, break it down. You know, so like my project right now that I have, we, that we got awarded, we're looking to fill a gap of $2 billion, right? Uh -huh. And what we're doing exactly that. We're going to our local agencies. We're looking for home funds. We just applied to the Federal Home Loan Bank. We're asking everybody that have the passion that's on a mission to create affordable housing in our community to help out. And I think that's the only way right now until we get out of this current economic crisis is to not stop, but keep going. Keep going. Keep going. So when you're doing your capital stacks, right? Yeah. First of all, can you explain what a capital stack is for the people who may not know? Got it. A capital stack is the funding sources that make your project work. So in affordable housing, you may have either 9% or 4% credits. Mm -hmm. Then you have your syndicator. Then you have your bank. Then you have some home funds. You have some vouchers. So the capital stack can be one or two things, or sometimes it could be nine funding sources that you have to go after. Non-funding sources. And can you imagine doing a deal where you have to go to nine different agencies and fill out the application for it? Mm. So now when you're talking about this, you can be talking about institutional investors, private investors. Everybody. It could be anybody walking down the street who got some money, yes. basically, to, to invest into your, not technically, yeah. but it, yes. they could be a part of the capital stock, right? You know, but, you know, we were just talking about the, let's talk about that conversation okay. about the institutional investor and a personal investor. Talk about it. Because you was dropping some gems off camera about this. <laughs> you know, as you start out in your real estate development, you may have to go out to the personal folks, your friends and family, and ask them to invest in your project, right? Mm -hmm. And it's okay as you're starting out. But as you get bigger and you move up to bigger and higher projects, you need to pivot 
to institutional investors. And here's why I say institutional investors. When you go private investors, that individual, it's a very emotional relationship. People have an emotion, con emotional connection with their money. And when they take that money and they give it to you, that emotion carry over to you, right? So I always say, as you start out, you may one or two, you know, personal investors. But my advice to folks is try to be on the institutional side. And yes, I know we have so much work to do with our institutions. They are not equipped to really think about how they can finance black and brown developers. We're referred to as BIPOC developers. We oftentimes are fin financially challenged. We're oftentimes have really, really deep knowledge of affordable housing. We just don't have the balance sheet of someone that's been doing this for 10 decades, right? So our institutional, our institutions need to find ways to address developers such as myself. And you asked me, how was I able to finance my first solo project? I did it with an institutional develop, um, with an institution. I did it with Enterprise. They had a program called Equitable Path Forward. And that program was a program they set up to invest in minority developers such as myself that know the industry, that have done projects through JV. But the only thing that was holding us back was the access to capital, right? So they invested in me. They invested $750,000 for the pre-development of the land. We got that done in like six months, unheard of. Um, and they also are my syndicator for my 9% tax credit. So they're gonna be a little bit more flexible on my liquidity. So a lot of time when you go to affordable housing, they're looking for you to have deep pockets and a lot of liquidity because anything that's gonna go wrong in a project is gonna go wrong in an affordable housing project. Facts, right? So they're looking for you to be able to weather any storm. So when I have a partner like Enterprise, they understand I'm coming to the table with some challenges and they're ready and prepared to deal with those challenges. So we need more institutions that are coming to the table with that mindset that it's kind of like what Dr. Martin Luther King said in the book, Where Do We Go From Here? He said, we are in the country that have done something to the Negro for the past hundred years. That country now must do something for the Negro to close that gap. So when I sit back and think about how do we close that gap, the institution have to do something for developers such as myself if we wanna even out this playing field, which by the way, can never be even out because if you look at it, about 80% of the funding go to developers that don't look like me, right? About 95%, I want to say, in New Jersey, of funds for affordable housing go to developers that don't look like me. Mm. So we need our agency to recognize that there is, a, there is a divide in how affordable housing get built and who built it. That is going to be the next civil rights conversation of our time is housing. Who get to live where and who get to build it? So if I'm a developer watching this or an aspiring developer watching this, how do I find 
institutional investors. Like you did your first deal, it was your first development. Like, how did you even know about this program that Enterprise was offering? I think there is institution out there. There are a bunch of them, CDFIs. So if I was someone, look for your local CDFI. Community Development Financial Institution. Institution. Uh Look for your local CDFI. And type in CDFI focuses on affordable housing. There's a ton of them. And they'll focus on affordable housing. There's live, there's lists, there's if you're in New Jersey, New Jersey Community Capital, NJRA. They are hyper-focused on affordable housing. Seek those people out and ask the questions. I like that. CDFIs. CDFIs. I never thought about that. Yeah, that's your, that, that is your first place to start. Okay. All right, we, sp- we spoke a lot about real estate mm-hmm. and you have the restaurant, so I don't want to overlook the restaurants. No, we can't overlook the baby. Because the babies, you know, the IHOP, the first IHOP is pretty much why you're here today. Absolutely. Right? It introduced you to the commercial real estate world. Yep. What made you want to start a IHOP franchise? Like, no one wakes up one day and says, oh, I'm going to do it. I want to get an IHOP franchise. Like, that's just not... We might say, hey, well, let's go to AHA for some breakfast. Yeah. Right? But never let me own the AHA franchise. What made you want to get into the restaurant business? You know, I went to college in Teaneck, Philly Dickinson University. And there was this cute little AHA on the corner of our university. And me and my friends will always go there. You know, when you come from the club, we used to do late nights over there. Absolutely. I fell in love with IHOP. I love this IHOP. For after the club. <laughs> <laughs> and when I came back to my community, I bought my first house in Irvington. There was no IHOP in Irvington. We had two diners and that was it. And I wanted to bring this experience of, first, I did not know I was gonna open an IHOP. I wanted to do something, I just didn't know it was going to be an IHOP. So at the time, there was a mayor in Newark, not Newark, in Irvington. I reached out to him and I said, look, listen, there is no national brand in Irvington. And as I was complaining to him, he said to me, oh, I think you should bring an IHOP in Irvington. And I actually have the location for you. There is a diner up the street that is for sale. Why don't you buy it? And at the time, I had a ton of real estate in Irvington, so he knew me. He said, why don't you buy it and make it an IHOP? And I said, well, that's not what I meant. I meant you need to go find somebody to bring an IHOP, not tell me to go do it, because you know, that's what we do. Yeah. We complain. And then don't want to, you, you have a problem, but you're not trying to be the solution. I, I ain't trying to fix it. I was looking for him to fix my problem. So he said, matter of fact, I'll take you to the owner right now. I was like, it was like, yeah, come on. You could drive with me. I'll take you to the owner. And I'm saying in this car, I'm just like, this is not how I plan this conversation to go. He, we'd go in the diner and it was a Greek guy. And me and the mayor walk in, and he says to the mayor, hi, mayor, so good to see you. The mayor is like, hippie, I have somebody that's going to buy a diner. I know you have it on sale. And he says, 
to the mayor, oh yes, send him in, I'll be happy to talk to him. The mayor was like, yeah, she's right here. And at the time, this was an old Greek guy. He looked at me with such disgust, was like, who, her? She's gonna buy my diner? She can't buy this diner, right in front of me. And I said to him, as a matter of fact, yes I am. Here's $25,000 check, take it off the market, and my attorney is gonna contact you on Monday. And I said to him, by the way, how much you selling this for? He said, $1.2 million. And I knew at that time he, he had jumped his price up because he didn't want to sell it to me. Yeah. And I went home, I told my girlfriend, I'm like, girl, I did the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> Somebody made me mad and I wrote him a check for $25,000. <laughs> and I remember calling him the next day like, did you cash that check? He's like, yes, it's in the bank. And I'm expecting a contract from your attorney because I'm not giving it back. Wow. So if you know anything about me, I'm a black woman that is not looking to part ways with her $25,000, at least not at that time. So I called a guy at the time that had the IHOP in Newark. I said, hey, why don't you put an IHOP in Irvington? He's like, nope, my IHOP is doing fine. I'd rather do my IHOP here. And he was so rude about it. And I was like, well, fine. If you don't want to do it, I'll do it myself. I called IHOP got an application, turned in the application, and they turned me down. They turned me down the first time. They said, you know, we don't think you can run the IHOP. And I'm a believer, and I told you this um, before we got on camera. I'm a believer that if I had a bus to catch, right, and I knew I had a bus to catch, and I walked to that bus, I woke up, I walked to the bus, and I missed the bus, it's one thing. If I had a bus to catch and I woke up in the morning and I hustle and bustle and I chase that bus down and I miss that bus, it's okay because rejection is God protection, right? I believe that if you put everything you got in what you want, the universe, the universe is going to reward you. And I wake up every day with that mindset that I'm gonna wake up in the morning and give it all I got. And if it doesn't happen for me, it's not because I didn't try. It's just God either delaying what's coming for me or it just wasn't meant for me. And I'm okay with that, but I'm not okay with not putting my best foot forward. So when I have turned me down, I called them back. You know how you call it? Like, yo, yo, what's up? No, I ain't do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, why you turn me down? Why you turn me down? <laughs> no, I ain't do it like that. I was a little bit nice. <laughs> so when I called IHOP, I wanted to know what happened. And I just so happened that day, I called, and it was the only black woman at IHOP, and she picked up the phone. Wow. She picked up the phone. Her name was Nicole. And I talked to her. And after that conversation, she gave me a second chance. That was all God. That was all God. Yeah. And this is why I say two things. Give it all you got, but it's important that we have people that look like us in departments and places where they can impact and influence our outcome. Ellen, this story has so many gems in it. Yeah, it does. One of the biggest gems I just got from this story of your first IHOP 
was the importance of having relationships with your local politicians. Oh, yes. Your local mayors, right, in all these towns, because the local mayors, they know the business owners because those are the folks who are really voting for them, right? So that mayor in Urbanton knew what was moving and shaking. You complaining, he said, okay, I'm going to make you the solution and took you to the owner of that IHOP and forced your hand, basically. Yeah. And God's time, it was just right on time for you. At that moment, you were ready for it. I was ready. And politics is local. Mm-hmm. I know we want to focus on who, what Joe Biden is doing. What po- politics is local. Go to your council meeting, talk to your mayors, talk to your council people, because those are the people that have a direct impact on your life, right? Um, and that story for me is just to let people know that when things are happening to you, sometimes we feel like things are hap- things don't happen to you. They happen for you. They happen for you. They happen for you. And I'm I would always say to, and because let me tell you, it's hard. It's hard being a black woman in business in America. It's hard, period. We're operating in an ecosystem that just wasn't built for us, right? It's hard. But nevertheless, Madam C.J. Walker came before me without no blueprint. She walked through a forest and left a path. May not have been a clear path, but she left something, a playbook for me to follow, right? So I have to wake up every morning with that force, Mm. that force of success. And sometimes that force can be a gentle force. Sometimes that force is a hard force. Sometimes that force is, we need to get this shit done today. Force. And you need to keep people around you that share that same force with you, right? Because it's only in that force that you as a black woman operated in business in America, can you be successful? Uh, Powerful. So when I see black women doing their thing, I salute them. I said, keep paving the way for the next generation of women that are coming behind us. And we can leave that path wide open so they can have a path, a plan in how to do this. Uh, Powerful, y'all. It's bigger than me. Is bigger than anything I'm doing right now. I want, I want to inspire the next generation of restaurant owners. When I think about restaurants and how I sort of want to do this, if you look at cornbread, cornbread was my first signature brand out the gate. I wanted to do a concept that spoke to my people and that solved a problem. Soul food has been given such a bad name. It's unhealthy for you. It's fried. It's this. But give me Chick-fil-A is fries, fried chicken, French fries, and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. But nobody talk about how unhealthy Chick-fil-A is. But every time someone want to talk about soul food, they want to talk about how unhealthy it is. So when I talk about, when I thought about how I was going to impact the world with cornbread, I was going to make sure we dealt with fresh ingredients every day. When you eat at cornbread, you're eating collard greens that was cooked for you. We're peeling yams. We're selling you chicken that have no antibiotics in it. 
No hormones are in our chicken, right? We're cooking everything from scratch because I knew what I'm gonna be butting against. A bunch of stereotypes about me, my people, and what soul food has been in this country. And we're gonna break that. We're gonna make sure soul food and cornbread become a household name. Cause we're gonna take that brand and we're gonna take it national, right? We opened up in Brooklyn last year, killed it, right? Where at in Brooklyn? We're on Eastern Parkway in Bedford. Okay. And people coming in there, I had a customer one time crying and said to me, this is what I've always wanted to come to, to a soulful restaurant that spoke to me. It's young, it's hip, it's beautiful. And it's good. It's good as hell. It's good. It, we got the best, we was voted the best fried chicken in Brooklyn. <laughs> really? Best cornbread in New York. Man, I ain't gonna hold y'all up. When we first met and I ate that, that some of that cornbread food, man, listen, you, you had a whole smorgasbord for me. Yeah. And we picked at everything. I said, this is incredible. Yeah. Now, it was really good. I want to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Two, four, five, six years is not enough for me to have an impact. I see my companies, and I'm patient. I'm going to be patient. Some days are good, some days are hella bad, um, but I'm going to be patient. When you're doing something that's greater or bigger than yourself, you got to give yourself time. You know, we turned right back around and built another concept called Brick City Vegan. I wanted to take the unhealthiness out of veganism. You know, if you go in Brick City Vegan right now, you can get a salad, you can get a bowl, you can get biscuits, you can get- The burgers. The burgers, we got- The burgers are slamming. Black eye pea burger, chickpea burger, sweet potato burger, all made scratch on site. We make about 80% of our menu, we make all of our dressing on site. Right? Same thing with cornbread. I'm telling you, that cornbread is probably the best cornbread anybody is ever gonna have. And I put my word on that because I am obsessed about what I put out into my community. You know, I'm not here selling you something. I want something that lasts. And for me, that is, if I can close down every fast food chicken joint and replace it with a cornbread Brexit vegan, I'm happy. Yeah, you said that to me off, off camera, and I said, that's fly, I like that. Yep. Because, uh, you know, food is killing us. Yeah. Let's call a spade a spade, yep. and you know, especially in our community, look, I love food, I love to eat. I love food. Like, food is great, <laughs> Yeah. but it's also poison at the same time, and the way, if you look at all these Kentucky, not the, what's that, what's the? Kennedy fried chicken. Kennedy fried chicken, the other word, the clown chicken, and no disrespect, but that stuff is greasy as hell. Yeah. You know, that clog all your arteries up, yeah. you know? It's not good. So when, when I came to cornbread and I was eating, I'm like, man, this is clean. Yeah. And usually when you eat like quote unquote soul, soul food, it's like heavy. Yeah. It's like real heavy, you get the itis, like you're right. like, nah, I'm done for the day. I can't even move <laughs> no more, right? But I was still moving and shaking the whole entire day after I had that meal. So it was real light, it was clean, it was good. And it, I didn't have like that greasy type of soul food feel, like that after taste. And, yeah. You know, so it's really good. So I highly recommend, you know, I'm a fat boy, so, you know, I'm a, I ain't going to tell you nothing wrong about food. I highly recommend 
y'all come here downtown all the way to Brooklyn. I feel the Brooklyn, and we open up in Montclair. Montclair is coming, Brick City Vegan, and Cornbread is coming to Montclair. After that, we're either going to Jersey City or we're going right back to Brooklyn. Man, I love Brooklyn. Do you I own want... a building in Brooklyn? No, I do, Rob. Rent that one. Uh, I rent that one. But nevertheless, I'm looking for opportunities to own in Brooklyn. If y'all know anything, holla at your girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm definitely looking to grow in Brooklyn. I would love to have our first franchise store of Cornbread in Brooklyn. Okay. And you're taking franchise opportunities. I'm taking franchise opportunities. So um, if you're interested, definitely we have cornbreadsoul.com, adinabio.com. Hit me up there and let's do this. Before we wrap, um, this has been a great conversation. We have to do a part two um, because I have a lot more. I have a lot more questions. I ain't gonna hold you up. And I know you're busy today. I know I'm over an hour right now. You know, Michelle's standing up. She's got laptop going and everything like that. You know, queuing you up. She's queuing it up. I, I I got you, Michelle. Like we're gonna make you late for the next meeting. <laughs> Don't worry. But. You mentioned Madam C.J. Walker earlier, right? And you have a quote right here. It says, I had to make my own living and make my own opportunity, but I made it. Don't sit down and wait for the opportunities to come. Get up and make them. Yeah. What does that mean to you? It means that there is no playbook for me. No one left me a playbook. It means that every opportunity that I get I have to create those opportunities. And as I'm doing that, I have to leave a playbook for the next generation of women coming behind me, right? And that is exactly what Madam C.J. Walker means to me. Imagine what she accomplished with no resources. With the resources that I have now, I can do more and I will do more. The resources you have now you will do more. Yeah, and sometimes it's not a lot of resources, but nevertheless, is making the best with what I have. Access to capital have not been easy for me. Access to capital have not been easy for me at all. But nevertheless, look what I've been able to build with no access to any capital, right? No easy cash access to any capital. And that struggle still continuing today, but I'm not deterred. I think it's even bigger than that, right? Yeah. You immigrated here at 13 years old yep. as a teenager yep. to America, right? Yep. You're coming from, you escaped civil war yep. to come to America with really, you said earlier also, your zip code is 50% of it. Well, your zip code wasn't even in America. No. Didn't and, and you and didn't exist no. and you came here with no resources with everything against you and you built this into almost a billion dollar empire which will be a billion dollar empire your number keeps going up yeah 100 percent. i'm telling you i it's in you it's not thank on you. you it's in you thank you and that's why i i, I told you i said look you're nino brown <laughs> You're like the modern day Nino Brown. You got this whole block on lot. I ain't never seen nothing like this. And I speak, I, I, I am in real estate. I speak, I see things, I'm on sites. And there's not too many people of whatever background you come from that are like you. Mm. 
and you're killing it out here. And that's why it was important for me to come and do this on location and not do like a virtual, you come to my studio, I said, no, Adina, we need to do this right here in your building. You did. Um, because I think, you know, from the B-roll and people can see the visuals of what we're speaking about will be more impactful so that when they can see City Hall right across the street yeah. from your building. This is incredible. It's truly inspiring. And um, I'm just happy that you made the time for me today and to be on the show. And it's not going to be the last that we hear from you. No. Right? You're going to be at You're going to be at InvestFest too. Yes, I'm going to InvestFest. No, no one knows this right now. Because right? yes. we didn't announce the lineup. By the time this come out, it's probably we're not even going to announce the lineup then too. Right. But you're going to be at InvestFest on that stage in front of 20,000 people. And after our first conversation, I said, no, nah, I need you to InvestFest. Yeah, you did. And you have to be a part of InvestFest because I don't know why we don't know who you are. Like everyone should know. Just like how we know who Don Peoples is, mm -hmm. and we know, you know, some of these other big developers, like they need to be speaking about Adina Bio in the same sentence as these folks. So whatever I can do to help that mission, I'm game because you are a gem for the community, and your circumstances of how you were brought up and raised and born did not dictate who you are today. It helped fuel the woman and the passion that you are today. So I'm super proud to be in your presence and to be in your grace because this is not every day you get to sit with a legend and a, a true, a true, genuine good person. Oh. Because the love fest, I can understand why you get the love fest because your heart is just, I'm hearing you speak and then just off camera and stuff like that. You truly care about the people that are partnering with you. I don't like to call people employees. They're yeah. your partners, right? right? They're helping your vision. You're helping them too. So thank you for coming on the show today and tell the people how to find you, your social medias, the emails, if they want to visit your restaurants, they want to come eat at cornbread, tell them everything that they need to know to not only tap in with you from social perspective, but also to visit your, your restaurants as well. Yes. So I have three restaurants, 915 Broad Street. Yes, all of them are mine. I have Cornbread in Brooklyn. And then we have the IHOP in Irvington. That's the first IHOP. Then we have Newark, Bergen Street. Then we have Patterson. So please, please support your girl. That's how we grow. We support each other. Thank you. What's your Instagram? Tell them how to follow. Adina Bio. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, another incredible episode of Rants and Gems. Make sure you guys tap in. We're going to put all of that information in the description of this video. Go to Apple or wherever you listen to um, podcasts. Make sure you rate this five stars, download it, leave a review, and share this episode with 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 people um, because the world needs to know who Adina Bio is. All right. So this is Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700, but better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. Peace.